listening to the Quarter 3 Movie Podcast for Into the Storm. <coughs> my name my name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Malonsky. Uh, this is Trey, your typical annoying brother. <laughs> and with an Into the Storm tagline, Kelly Wand. It blew. <laughs> <coughs> and sucked. Good, I was hoping you would get that in there. Uh, Kelly Wand, we've been doing a new feature. This is our second week running. We're going to see how long we can go with this. Kelly Wand, would you please read to us from IMDb the plot synopsis for mm, a movie? (laughs) This is the two-week anniversary of this event. It's pretty exciting. Exciting time to be alive. Um, This week's IMDb synopsis is from the motion picture Rocky IV. After Iron Man Drago, a highly intimidating six foot five, two hundred sixty one pound Soviet athlete, literally destroys Apollo Creed in an exhibition match. Rocky comes to the heart of Russia for fifteen pile driving boxing rounds of revenge. All right, that was this week's IMDb plot synopsis. A lot of adverbs for a Rocky IV synopsis. Kelly, when do you think this feature can sustain itself? I like it, but I don't know if the listeners do. But they seem to like everything. They seem to be. They seem to have a really low bar. We have very... Go ahead. Well, just like we make them sit through shit like Into the Storm just to hear us. Whoa, whoa, save that. This is hey. like a spoiler. What's wrong well, with I mean, you? No, I just, I just picked a movie title at random. I see. Okay. Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Who wants to watch that? <laughs> so then, you know. Speaking of uh, making the listeners sit through things, Dingus, what did we sit through this week? Oh, you didn't have any trailer talk? Yeah, not really. Okay, me neither. Uh, Dingus closed his eyes for the new Chloe Moritz Grace movie. I kept them open. It was kind of fun. Uh, did you guys see the trailer for Annabelle? That haunted weren't there doll? weren't there two Chloe Grace Moritz movies? Mm, I don't know. There's uh, If I Stay, which looks terrible. Um, I don't <laughs> All know the movies other. are bad. It's weird. I thought there was another one. All right. Yeah, we we uh, we just sat there laughing through the Annabelle trailer. Yeah, because it was genuinely creepy. I mean, that's a stupid looking. No. It, Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> no, wait, what? No. <laughs> well, no, the laughing I get, but it wasn't creepy. I like don't... No, I don't like looking at the doll. I was genuinely terrorized as a child by my older cousin's ventriloquist dummy, so I had some very serious like psychological groundwork laid for movies like Magic, Dead Silence, and... Annabelle, when it comes out. I knew a dude. He had like a he had like a lamp on his bedstand when he was a kid that was like a clown's face, and like the bulb or something in it went bad and it melted, so it, the clown's face melted. <laughs> and so his childhood memories of this horrifying melted clown face visage, like every night. So like if he sees, like his wife had set something up for the their kid's birthday with like clowns, it's like he started just screaming the second he came in. Oh, you'd think he would only be scared, though, of clowns with melted faces. Or electricity. Dingus, what did we uh, see this week? Tell us, the, tell the listeners what, what movie we all watched. Remind them what they're listening to. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, this week we saw Into the Storm. Mm. A 2014 action thriller footage disaster movie. There's footage, I'll grant you. 
about the fact that you cannot find a good tornado, you have to let it find you. Mm. It was directed by Stephen Quayle Mm -hmm. and written by John Swetnam. It stars Tornadoes. Into the Storm is rated (laughs) PG-13 for sequences of intense destruction and peril and language including some sexual references. Wait, destruction is now... For adults, no, no. Right? In, intense destruction, Kelly. Oh, I'm sorry. It's it intense might, destruction. It might also be the fact that it was coupled with peril. Yeah, intense destruction and peril. I'm not sure if in, intense appends to peril, or because there's no Oxford comma usage here. So it might be intense destruction and intense peril, but it's intense destruction and peril. Uh, Into the Storm opened at number three. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, damn. That's, that's wrong, Tom. Go back to your notes. Yeah, I apparently got the buzzer on that one. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was number one. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was number two this, this uh, week. Um, I, w- I would have loved, by the way, for Guardians wait. of the Galaxy. Yes, Kelly Wand? Well, I was going to say what you were about to say. But... I would have loved for Guardians of the Galaxy to be number one two weeks in a yeah. row, and for Michael Bay's awful little Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot to not even reach the number one spot. But. It's a big franchise. I guess a bunch of kids went to see it, and Morgan Megan Fox uh, also probably a big franchise. Wait, so now he's working with her again? Now I'm even more confused. He fires her from the other thing. Kelly Wand never believe the press out of Hollywood. I'm, I'm convinced that all, almost all, ninety percent of disputes um, in in among celebrities are engineered for publicity. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with this that. this war between Justin Bieber and Orlando Bloom. I don't believe a word of it. I can't believe you said all those words. I can't believe you just said all those words. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, would you call it a war? Yeah. Yeah. War. These guys are, uh, maybe it's a feud, a vendetta. Whatever well, you want to call it. Punches have been thrown, which I would love to see happen with Michael Bay and Megan Fox. <laughs> Personally. Well, maybe you should go see if, uh, check out that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie and see if it's in there. Mm. Yeah. Uh, name all four of them. Let's see. Uh, Doc, Sneezy, Grumpy, and Dasher. I was talking to Dingus, but... Uh, On Rotten Tomatoes, Into the Storm is at 20%. 20% of the reviews are positive. (laughs) One in every five reviewers was like, yeah, go see Into the Storm. On Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, Into the Storm is at 44. What? That's pretty high. Um... If you say so. I mean, I, I don't That's think... my analysis. Okay. Well, Kelly, well, I'm speaking uh, of your analysis. I would like to hear right now an Into the Stormopsis. Is that just too unimaginative? Do you have a better name for it? Uh, well, it's as imaginative as the movie is trying to be, so we don't want to upsell. Wait, so outstage? What's the word? Upstage. Outsell. Is uh, outsell the word? I think outsource is the word. It is now. Outsell is going to be a new corporate buzz. Got to surface that outselling. So, Kelly Wan, is that is it genuinely called the Into the Stormopsis? I had that or Into the Stopsis. I was going to split the difference. Either one is good, but Kelly Wan, I would like to impel you to begin it by saying, "Everybody in the Titus." <laughs> oh yeah, it was called that, huh? Wait, that was that named after a famous Titus vehicle? Yeah, they were going to call it Everybody Into the Andronicus, but they couldn't fit that on the poster. Into the Stopsis. 
some words are all, it's night. Some kids are driving around in a truck down residential streets, not drinking, smoking weed, having sex, or listening to music. The jocks all, man, I sure made that third down today. The cheerleaders all, oh, dingus. The film nerds all. <laughs> Jesus, really? <laughs> well, I'm trying to make it more interesting. The film nerds all, could you guys keep it down? I'm trying to film this windshield. You never know when Brett Ratner might drive by us. The principal's all, oh, Kelly, you're never going to amount to anything. We'll see about that. I got dreams, Mr. C. Dreams bigger than this whole town. Someday I'm going to be somebody, and my name's going to be in. Hey, kids, look, that street lamp just went out. Stop the car, stop the car. I want to film it. Stinky, you don't need to get out of the truck. My name's Stinky now. To film stuff through the windshield? It's transparent. Guys, look, the trees, houses, and street are disappearing inside that wind thing that's coming towards us. Tom's right. I'm going to start the car and go in reverse away from the oncoming threat. Kelly, once you're done filming, let us know so you can get back in the car, and that will be my cue to start the engine. And what was that second part? Oh, my God! <laughs> and in weather and traffic, tragedy struck literally last night when a tornado <laughs> preyed exclusively on teenagers threw some of them riding around in a truck instantly off screen. Police say they have few leads, quote, as if the assailant vanished into thin air. One eyewitness, a blind bag lady, had this to say. This used to be such a nice town with teenagers drag racing the hot rods right outside my house every night till three. But now with all this loud weather, I can barely hear them anymore. It's a horrible time to be alive. Horrible. So far, police say Mrs. Sims has sifted through over 19 volumes of mugshots of tornadoes, but is still drawing a blank. Some worry she may never leave the station at all. Yeah, I mean, the boys got uh, actual police work to get to. Uh, just between us, I mean, the day they're sort of praying, a tornado comes along and carries away just her. But so far, not a. Some words are all. Some kid's bedroom, 9.18 a.m., Wednesday or Thursday. A kid looks at us, pretends he's adjusting the camera, and goes. <laughs> That's another thing I hate about fucking found footage movies, is where they, they at least try at the beginning to make you think, okay, i got to focus the thing. And then they never do that again. <laughs> He's all, okay, uh, my dad told me to make a time capsule before I graduate. Uh, so, hi, future me. Guess we're both in a bathtub. <laughs> Hot tub? Bathtub. Full of supermodels right now watching this going, yeah, baby, best movie ever, yo. He looks at us for a couple minutes. A younger kid with even dumber hair eventually opens the door and comes in. He points to the laptop on his brother's lap and goes, You're looking at Stephanie Plotsky's picture in here and not jerking off? The older kid's all, That's my little brother, whatever his name is. His role is to motivate me to pursue my romantic possibilities. I can't tell from our acting if we get along or not. They cut to the kids eating breakfast with their dad, Billy Campbell. The dad's all, Eat your cereal. The older kid's all, That's dad. He's the vice principal. Ever since mom died on Xandar, he's been terse and unsympathetic. <laughs> the movie cuts to two redneck brothers filming themselves being dumb. One fills a swimming pool with water, crouches next to it, raises a camera to his face and goes, Okay, now try to jump the pool with the bike and land it in my mouth. Then maybe a few more shots was going woo. I don't think those last few were very convincing. The equally dumb brothers all, Okay, ready? Action. Gingerly turns the key in the bike and explodes. The music's all. These characters may not swear, but they are unintelligent. 
The movie cuts to the bald fuckwad character from Veep with the red mustache. Finally, some gravitas. He's a traveling. (laughs) (laughs) Such a weird casting choice. He's a traveling meteorologist like the Princess Bride guy from Twister, except that his van looks like the RV from Damnation Alley and has retractable salad forks on the sides. (laughs) Wind has no answer to those. He's all, fuck, if we don't find a tornado today, we're all fired. Lori the Hooker from Walking Dead's all, well, my TV screens are showing a lot of red blobs coming in from the top direction. Her phone rings. She's all, hey, little insect. We hear some annoyed buzzing from the receiver. The bald guy rolls his eyes. His white assistant pulls up in a blue car and rolls his eyes, too. It's weird to me they had two cars. There's a black guy, too, but he's trying to stay out of it. (laughs) I lean over to the tornado sitting beside me and stage whisper, My friend Tom tried out for this movie but fucked up the handshake. (laughs) Some words are all back at that school place. (laughs) The little brother's all, Bobby, look, it's the only girl in school. Go hit on her while I film it. (laughs) Today's graduation, so she's probably got nothing planned. The other brother's all, I don't know. What if I put my foot in my mouth like last time? That tasted dumb. The little brother's all, bro, relax. I'll just prove you have good aim. Might come in handy later. (laughs) (laughs) He tries for a fist bump, but gets ignored. The romantic lead brother's all, but what do I say to her? The only girl I've ever felt up before is mom at the funeral. The kid brother's all, I know, too soon. Just do that joke you're always telling. It actually makes sense here for once. Okay. He goes over to the girl's bench while the kid brother giggles and films him with perfect sound from across the room. Uh, uh, uh. Hey, Cloris. Uh, Nice boobs. I mean, nice top uh, parts. Hey, guess what they call the rear entrance to the school cafeteria? A bacteria. (laughs) She starts sobbing. He's all, hey, don't cry. I was just kidding. She's all, oh, Kenny, it's not just that. I was going to film my history report on how boring the old factory outside of town is. Now I just remembered I got to do it today during graduation. And I don't own a camera or know how to hit record. I don't even know which factory I'm talking about. It's all making my rat creamy and enormous from stress. Wait, you could do it. He's all, okay. (laughs) She's all... Thanks. He's all, let's go. (laughs) She's all, wait, I got to go with you? He goes to the little brother and goes, hey, I need you to film the graduation ceremony while I go to a factory at What's-Your-Face there and film some rust. The brother's all, if I'm younger than you, how come we're both graduating? (laughs) (laughs) He's the renegade, brother. Some words are all on a street. 11.41 11.41 a.m., 13 seconds. The bald guy sits grinning in a turret in his magic RV while Laurie from Walking Dead and the white guy and the black guy watch nearby. A tornado cruises by in the distant background, flipping them the bird and laughing. The bald guy's all, fuck! Laurie's all, oh, wait, hang on, my monitor screen is upside down, sorry. Plus, I don't know what any of these numbers mean at all. The white guy's all, hey, maybe I should quit. My girlfriend wants me to come have sex with her in Cancun. The black guy's all, nah. The white guy's all, all right. Meanwhile, half an hour into the graduation ceremony, the dad looks straight ahead and suddenly notices that his son's camera's wearing the graduation cap and giving the valedictorian speech. 
but no sign. Oddly, he doesn't look at the cameraman filming him looking at this. <laughs> they have a cameraman there. I'm just saying. The little brother smokes a joint, looks at us stonedly, and goes, I was supposed to film what? A tornado comes and eats the entire school, but they trick it by crouching. <laughs> After the dad's all my son for a few minutes, the bald guy's RV shows up and picks him up and the little brother and drives them to a street where the two hillbilly brothers who've ditched all their friends with non-speaking roles are screaming and farting on a park bench while a tornado comes Two hillbilly brothers who've ditched all their friends with non-speaking roles are screaming and farting on a park bench while a tornado comes at them. Lori's all, Jim, I know we passed a lot of townspeople on the way, but these two are drunk. We need to bring them with us and give them jobs. The little brother looks up annoyed from her TV screens. He's all, guys, we need to issue a convective sigmet off the gust front before the helicity turbulence attains a directional shear in the outflow boundary. The white guy's all, guys, look, a burning power line. I could film it from here, but I better go lick it just to be safe. The black guy's all, hey, don't do that. We already had a similar setup in the opening scene. The white guy's all, come on, man. You know I always do whatever you say till now. Holy shit, I'm on fire. What the fuck? I'm in a tornado and on fire. Bye. They all film the vanishing spark arcing out of sight above, then walk into the church. The dad's all, my son's still. The bald guy's all. Uh, just a heads up to all you remaining interns, try to stay out of the tornadoes and or fires. Lori's all. Are those all you care about? Billy's dead. Or at least singed, and probably a little queasy. Meanwhile, at the factory, the brother who's interested in sex turns on his camcorder and goes, Well, Susan, I guess neither of us has a future, because the tornado's here. Instead, I think it'd be more fun to dwell on the past. My mom died, but I think she would have been pretty proud of everything I've accomplished today. Susan, she's all, wow, Dougie, I was about to say, let's just spend our final moments making out. But that was inspiring, too. The dad shows up with the other losers. He's all, Billy, hang on. He tries to move giant concrete blocks with his bare hands, then with his knife, while the other characters watch, yawning. He's all, Billy, did you try wriggling? The kid's all, no. Why? The little brother's all, hang on. (laughs) He drives the truck into a cement piling, which tips over and shatters his brother's leg. The dad uses a knife to cut off the leg and goes, Great plan, other son, using the truck. Dislodge that masonry there. The kid's all, plan? The dad hands him the knife. From now on, son, keep this. Today you've earned it. The son's all, "Uh, I didn't cut anything. I just drove the truck, so you should give me that. They go back to the school. (laughs) (laughs) He's the smart one. The dad's all, Principal Whipplestein, you and all these kids will die if you stay here in the school. The principal's all, look, son, this is the storm basement. Doesn't he call him son? Lori's all, sir, I'm a woman, and I've spent the last few months looking at blobs of CG on TV screens, so I know everything about small-town architecture. We have to get all these students onto buses and driving somewhere now, or they'll all die. They drive to a place. The dad's all, damn, a tree block in the road. Fuck. This movie's epic. I mean, fuck. We can't go around it. Look at all the grass. Hey, Principal Whipplestein, uh, there's only room in the storm drain here for four of us, so you have to take all these kids back to the school. Okay? Good luck. Principal Salt. What the fuck? Eventually, the tornado gives up on killing these four characters and leaves. A newspaper headlines all, 
Tornado and Drunken Brothers declared saviors of city. <laughs> Vice Principal cowered courageously in drain and hoped for best. The football star looks at us and goes, Whoa, I know I wasn't even in the movie at all, but trust me, there were some close calls. Anyway, this tornado has taught me that worrying about the future, climate change, fucking bullshit mistake. From now on, I'm only going to worry about the immediate present somberly. Go Beavers! The crusty old-timers all. <laughs> Tornadoes. Our fate will see us through. Whatever them Jews and coloreds will have you believe with their gay marriage and their science. I know I wasn't at any of the events you just saw, but them drunken brothers, they're just a couple of good old boys. Never meaning no harm. The brothers all. Wow, Dad, you're smiling in this scene. <laughs> the dad's all. Yeah. The way you two both ignored everything I say, it's reminded me that it's the present that's important, just like those other two characters just said. Verbatim. Look out, Dad, I got your dick. Toot toot. Why, oh, you little fucks. What? I wanted what? to say. What? what just happened? They were reminiscing. You never heard of that game before. The family's back together. They're all getting along now. What? Now he's, yeah, that's how guys are. It's all male household. Uh, I wanted to stay for an Easter egg, but it started raining at the end. Uh, Tell you did you know who played the dad? Uh, he looked a little familiar, but he I was... totally not... looked familiar to me. It was his voice. And So, Dingus, did you know before, because I'm sure you looked it up, did you know who that was before we got out of the movie? No, no, no. When uh, when I was writing up my notes and you heard me laughing in the middle of doing so, that's that was the moment that I figured out who was playing him. Well, I recognized when his name came up in the credits because I I remember him being sort of striking in that in the Hobbit. But uh, yeah, he, and he does, so he's he's God, Thorin he cannot, Openshield. Yeah. <laughs> he's the main dwarf in the Hobbit what? movies. Yeah. Because he's got that dark, brooding sort of vibe to him, and I was so like, "Tall." I know I've seen. <laughs> but it, does, it doesn't work without a beard, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm just used to seeing his eyes behind all that like makeup and CG or whatever they do in those movies. Um, but yeah, that was Thorin Oakenshield. Well, Thorin's an ineffectual kind of character in those movies, and the dad's really ineffectual in this movie. No, come on, Kelly. One, he rebonds with his sons. He uh, saves well, them all. I'm pretty sure. What? Yeah. They did, he didn't save anybody. No, the, he's they him in the storm drain, and the other son saves the son with the truck. The, but dad doesn't do shit. Yeah, he he wipes the condensation off the windshield frustratingly. When <laughs> that was driving, awesome. Yeah, there's that scene where yeah, it's just footage of him driving to try to get to the factory, and there's for whatever reason they, to show the dad's intent or his his dedication or whatever. There's a shot of him leaning forward and frustratingly wiping the condensation oh, yeah, off the that. windshield. That's the <laughs> only thing that happens in that scene. Yeah, the only thing that happens in that shot. Yeah, you can see the editor. Oh, we want to we want to get that shot in there. Let's well, he's that driving. I get the sense that he's th- he's like trying to say drive faster by doing that, but she just looks at him nervously, like, "Dude, easy with the windshield." <laughs> I'm forty. What do you need to see? You're a passenger. <laughs> exactly. His just concern is it's self ennobling. So let me try it this way: uh, Is there any redeeming value in this movie? I liked one that one shot at the end a little bit. What shot at the end? Where uh, the ball guy goes to heaven. The 2001, yeah, the uh, the sort of the uh, the the shot on the face of the character who's kind of transcended right. reality. Now, I okay, so you would call that as by, by the process of elimination. I like it. Um, if any other shot, Dingus, did the- you like? Dingus, did you like that shot? That moment? So. For the listeners, I'm assuming you've seen the movie. Matt Walsh gets sucked up into the tornado in in the Titus, and he's thrown above the cloud line. And, yeah, so, Dingus, what did you think of that scene? The Titus is his truck, by the way, listeners. 
Everybody in the Titus. Yeah. Which I, I, you know, I'm glad you mentioned it, Kelly, because uh, all I was thinking about was it was a shrunken, um, th- that shrunken vehicle from uh, Valley uh, Damnation Alley. Oh yeah. Didn't you mention that the, in your opposite? Yeah, yeah, I did. It was that of the Batmobile. Uh, but no, I was just I was just giggling during that whole thing. I'm afraid. My my problem with that scene and with so much oh, of, it was giggling. Yeah, yeah, I was just laughing. I was just laughing during I didn't that say scene. It was dramatic. Yeah. Okay, your problem what, Tom? Sorry. I, I, one of my big problems with the movie, man, I love me some Matt Walsh. He yeah. is such a great part of what makes Veep work. You know, this sort of sad, tired. Uh, presence with these young cutthroat people and their ruthlessness and he's just kind of emotionally drained and beyond all of that uh, Armando Iannucci has similar characters in Into the uh, in, uh, in the Loop and um, the uh, Ted Gummit, what's the other one that, that preceded In the Loop Thick um, of it? Yeah, Thick of it um, so he's such a fixture of the kind of stories that, that they do that, that Into the Loop and Thick of It and Veep does. So I just have so much goodwill for Matt Walsh. I, I'm i not a big fan of a lot of sketch comedy, but those UCB things with him and Amy Poehler and uh, Matt Besser and the other guy whose name I can never remember, those I always enjoyed. Um, so I really like Matt Walsh so much, and, and that was one of the reasons I, I kind of expected this to be crappy, but I thought, you know, if they're going to cast Matt Walsh, they're going to do something with him. And I was just so frustrated that he wasn't right for the part. He yeah. didn't seem to be doing anything with it. And that scene where he's supposed to be marveling, it's... I don't know if that scene's supposed to be the equivalent of Quint getting eaten by the shark or Dave Bowman, you know, going through the monolith. I don't know what they were thinking that was, but I don't think Matt Walsh knew either. <laughs> like, I don't think. Well, he's not really seeing it, too. He's looking well, at CG. Well, what, what really pisses me off is that it's really exciting to me to see him in a movie as yeah. basically he's the he's the lead character. Yeah. I mean, Richard Richard Armitage is the guy running around and collecting things but but he's kind of driving i mean literally and figuratively the movie right and they could make him into that but they, they never commit to who the character is and in the end he does something that is completely against anything that we've we figure who this character is and then she says well this is for the good of all mankind and so nothing that his character does makes any sense and so it's so frustrating because you're right tom they don't use his talents and, and so I don't know who to blame for that. It just—it's so frustrating watching him be, watching his talents be completely squandered and not even have a good character there. I don't know what's going on. Okay, I know who to blame. Clearly, the blame I feel because in a situation like this, Matt Walsh knows what he's doing, and he's a fascinating fellow to watch when he's acting. And I just felt like he didn't really care here. Uh, he didn't really—he knew he didn't have much to work with. He's just kind of showing up to collect the paycheck. And bless his heart, fair enough. The script is crappy and the director's horrible. And so I blame not Matt, not Matt Walsh because there's nothing really he can do. You know, is this a, an Ahab? Is this a guy who nobly sacrifices himself? Is this, you know, a guy passionate about science? What the fuck is this character? Nobody knows. Matt <laughs> yeah, Walsh doesn't know because there's nothing there. So I clearly, I, you know, Stephen Quayle, the director, this is, I think he's in a couple things, but he's mainly known for Final Destination 5, which is also a terrible movie, but at least has this, the, the series has these grim death scenes and, and Final Destination 5 gives you what you want with those sort of grim death scenes. And Stephen Quayle was given a script and he shot that Final Destination 5, whatever, it's okay. Here, the thing is, tell me the screenwriter's name again. Uh, sorry. 
Jeez. It sounds like something like Schwetnam or, or <laughs> His name is John Schwetnam. I just kept thinking your name looks like Vietnam. So exactly Swet- right. Swetnam. I, I wanted to say I was in junior high, dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this fellow Schwetnam hit. So the the script that Stephen Quayle is provided with here, and we know Stephen Quayle can make a serviceable movie because Final Destination Five doesn't necessarily suck. It's serviceable. This is not a serviceable movie. It's a terrible movie that uh, has very little, I would say, almost no redeeming value. Yeah. I, I, I lay the blame at the feet of the guy who made the script because the script is so freaking inane. Yeah. There's not, it is, there's so many stupid things that make no sense or that no actor in the world could do anything with. Um, so this guy has done before. He's known for two movies, one of which is actually in theaters now. He wrote Step Up All In. What? what? Yeah. It's the writer of the new Step Up movie. He also wrote a really stupid movie called Evidence, which is directed by uh, the same dipwad who did Fourth Kind. Kelly Wan, do you remember that movie with Mila Jones? Yeah, I hated it. Yeah, they try to sell it off as if here's real footage and we're going to recreate the footage. Yeah, yeah. There's no real footage in it. And Paramount did some really crappy things to actors in terms of like trying to hide their identity to play this trick that maybe Boy. is real footage. So yeah, I found I found Fourth Kind slightly offensive. So the director of Fourth Kind takes a script from this Swetnam fellow, and he makes a movie called Evidence. And this movie, I am not lying to you, is about people watching a video. So there's been a crime scene where a gas station explodes, a bunch of people die, and they recover footage. So Evidence is about people sitting in a room, and a guy named Stephen Moyer, who I thought was terrible in the movie, he's like an, an expert video watcher. So they call him in to watch the recovered video. And they intersplice the people sort of fiercely watching the video, trying to figure out what happened in this epic, like, murder, slaughter kind of situation, uh, intercut with footage of it actually happening, which is kind of found footage, kind of not. Um, so I think this writer just is, is making these terrible scripts that, for whatever reason, get picked up and they, they get funded uh, and put into production. So I, I blame, not Matt Walsh, and maybe not even the director, but I blame this, this, this script. Uh, it's just, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, it makes Twister look good. It really does. Yeah, and that's quite an accomplishment to make yeah. Twister look like, uh, yeah, to make Twister look like a well yeah. machine. Um, yeah, it's a, it's just upsetting to me to see. I mean, I understand the dilemma that an actor has. Um, you know, he has to make a living, uh, so it's just upsetting to me to see Matt Walsh select this project as really a major lead role for him. But, you know, I mean, he's so awesome on Veep. I, I've liked him in so many little roles that he's done. I don't expect him to do all of those little things. If he wants to try to move into being the lead character, more power to him. I would love to see more of him because he's so good. It's just so upsetting to see him, sad, you know, pick this and then just get to do nothing. Yeah. And I did find the scene where he's, you know, staring at the marvel of, you know, what he's never seen above the clouds or whatever. I mean, I don't understand the idea of why does he have this wondrous expression on his face when he knows he's about to plummet to his death. Uh, But I kind of I found that amusing because it was just so ridiculous. Right. (laughs) No setup. Well, I think they're just ripping off Perfect Storm. The end where Clooney sees like a sun sky for half a second. Um, I don't even remember that. All right. I can I can kind of buy that. All right. False hope. All right. One last glimpse. But it's not. Uh, is it false hope? Because it's you no. Know, it's not false hope. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I misspoke. You know, supposedly, I mean, the the script lays in early on that he's always wanted to. The whole reason he built the Titus. Oh, to, to see, see the, 
the eye of the tornado, and this is apparently the culmination of his life's work. I mean, and he even says that this this you know this storm right. is the culmination of my life's work. So so this this is his moment of ah. Uh, but what makes it ridiculous thing is, is he already saw the eye of the tornado. It just passed over. Yeah. He looked up into it. He got to see that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is when he made a vehicle that's useless for what he's talking. What he wants to do. Like, he, does he want to see the up top cloud part? Like, then he should have put. No, he had no idea that 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 would be possible. Well, that's, that's just saw, an extra. He saw the eye of the tornado. That's the center right. that. that passes over him. Yeah, it's, it's the trailing edge of the tornado. Right. Yeah, the eyes of the nothing. Right. It's the calm. You can see the eye of the tornado before the tornado. Right. Well, but he's, he's got that no, no, no. turret. I, I guess the idea is that he could film from he could film a tornado from the inside for the first time ever. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's the idea. Is that we're no. yeah, he doesn't know he's going to be sucked up in and get to see the sunrise. Yeah. So that, that you have to have a person do that. Like even in Twister, they had a stupid machine with marbles in it. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Right. This went to that much trouble. Uh, here's one thing that I would highlight is the redeeming value. Um. You know, you go to a movie like Final Destination 5, any of the Final Destinations, and you want to see really cool, grim deaths. Uh, I kind of like that fire NATO sequence. Yeah, I did too. I, I'd never, I guess I'd never, I don't think I've seen anything like that before. And when that was happening, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And when it furthermore sucked one of the characters I didn't care about, I was like, yeah, that's a kind of a cool, grim death. And we're seeing the guy getting sucked up into the sky and burned. And- well, it was such a weird, it was such, like, nothing like that happens in the movie till then. Like, it's a really slow movie. Or even after so, then. Because you know, after, it, yeah, yeah, you go. does not want to kill characters. It no, yeah, no. yeah. I don't know why. I thought that's the whole point of having, that's the whole point of these movies. It should be. Like, at least in Towering Inferno, you get some deaths. Because, right. you know, it's like, who's going to live and who's going to die? But everybody makes it out of this, except for the one guy who is wants to quit like that's why it's it's a tragedy that it's that dude now, i am pretty sure i saw and it's just part of the clumsiness of the movie there were i'm pretty sure i saw moments where like random dude you don't know who gets sucked up into the sky right or gets yeah. pulled out yeah yeah i don't know where the town is it you, seems very depopulated you see that in the high school and, and by the way those are i mean that's what's one, one of the hilarious things when they're all running into the high school i mean a lot yeah. of them are just older people but it's supposed to be a storm shelter and then when the tornado first hits the high school people get sucked down the hallway and into it right. and then it ends and and uh principal thorin stands up and goes Is everybody okay and then you know thing is he was the vice principal please well, i'm sorry assistant principal thorin <laughs> yeah he doesn't even do his job he, his job's to be <laughs> I hate that character. you cannot get a reaction shot from that guy without laughing i mean what is up the main guy, Thorin. The th- Thorin o- yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Richard Armitage is his name. Yeah, Richard yeah. Armitage. I'm sorry, Dad. I just know him as principal da- or assistant principal Dad. He's got one hell of a voice, though. Who, he's a Brit, and he's totally a Brit, yeah. by the way. Who needs – and I didn't get – the script is so inane. For the, for the first 20 minutes of the movie, I was like, why is this guy forcing his sons to make a time capsule video? Yeah, today. Themselves, and it has to be on YouTube by the end of the week. And then later on, I realized – Oh, it's he wants the entire school. school to, no, he to, wants the graduating class. No, no, no. He wants the entire town to do it because there's some construction guy who also is doing the. T- I don't know why it's being done by the assistant principal. I just know at the beginning it's the horrible older brother doing it, uh, who just is terrible. You know, he's doing a, a, a oh, yeah. he's doing his time capsule and doing his uh, well, if mom were here thing. Yeah, and. 
And I don't know why dad is, <laughs> dad, dad is forcing these brothers to do this time capsule. And then it's, oh, wait, oh, oh it's for the graduating class. No, no, it's the whole town. I can what is going that. on? I can explain to you, Dingus. Oh, what good. is going on is that, again, and it's the script's fault, it is such a it is the found footage conceit is so forced. Yeah, I love horrible. I love watching found footage movies where they struggle with that, and some movies come up with clever things, some just resign themselves to it. Uh, this stuff is so forced, and we had some discussions about this when we saw Chronicle, where you know Dingus rightly objected because Chronicle also is very forced, but I kind of enjoyed some of the ways they forced it in Chronicle. Yeah, here. It, it's so, like he sets the camera up on tripods in the parking lot, and then he and his brother walk out in front of the camera in a very, very conveniently framed two shot to have their conversation. Like that early in the moment, you realize, okay, this is what you're going to be doing, movie. You know, you're going to be 90 minutes of this forced composition where characters going to conveniently lay yeah. a camera on a surface and leave it running, and and all the stuff too where Matt Walsh is like telling his camera his two camera dudes shoot everything you know he's a tornado chaser (laughs) and especially and i know this is what dingus was laughing at when they shoot two people having a conversation in the van and each shot you see the other dude's face peeking over the camera in the Mm -hmm. shot like with the cameraman those poor actors you know kelly called him the white guy and the black guy insinuating themselves in the the reverse shot of every shot that was so ridiculous and forced and just risable Uh, (laughs) Oh my god. Just have a sense of the actors going, uh, am I in the shot? Am I in the shot? I don't know. Is it my line yet? It's yeah. so weird. It's my hair okay. It, this, this movie made me want to Scientists. Made me want to apologize to Chronicle. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, because it is just so pathetic. I mean, all the, the cameras at the graduation that nobody bothers to pick up that are getting rained on and they just appear, how did that footage, oh, who knows? And everybody using their cell phones and my cell phone doesn't get a signal. Well, it's because it's underwater, bitch. I mean, and you're not going to be able to film anything from any of these things. I mean, it's just amazing how horrible and thin this found footage premise is. Yeah, there's never a payoff to any of it. Well, and furthermore, it is, you know, all the editing, there are jump cuts in this found footage. All the music, the scoring, you know, when they rescue the son and uh, Chesty McCleavage, or whatever that chick's name is, when they rescue them, they don't pluck out of there the cameras that they were using to shoot with. You know, they just pull them out of there. That footage we saw is presumably lost on the water. It's, again, it's another like Apollo 18, that is footage. It is not found footage because that stuff is never found as far as we know. And every now and then, just for the heck of it, they put in like school surveillance footage. Um, <laughs> yeah. Remember? Remember? Oh, this? Yeah. And those so, YouTube fuckers. What the hell? That's the comic relief, I guess, is what they were going for. I, don't, and I do not understand why. What is the movie any different without those guys in it? Is there any difference? They make it out, too. The moral of the movie is time capsule's stupid. Hillbillies survive. <laughs> what? It's an idiot. Um, let, let's talk about uh, Sarah Wayne Callies. Uh, Dingus hasn't seen Walking Dead. Uh, Kelly oh, Wands, uh, uh, how, how do you feel about her as an actress? How'd she do for you? Well, she's is she supposed to be annoying? I think that's part what some people think about her character Lori Grimes in Walking Dead, um, but yeah, I don't, and I feel bad saying that about an actress, and maybe it's, but I do find her. There's just something grating, and I think it's she's not a. a she should actress. just like grating. Yeah, she's not a good actress, and she doesn't. She should just play annoying characters, unless she already is <laughs> done and done. 
Because I remember on Walking Dead, she wasn't convincing either. And it's yeah. a really easy sell. Like, okay, you think your husband's dead and there's zombies. And it's like, she's playing every scene so yeah. well. Like, she's super horny. Like, oh, yeah, it's so good. Just get out of here. Fuck the truth. Like, three days after the end of the world? So bad. Maybe it's the whole show. I don't know. She's never good, is she? These are the only things I've seen her in, though. And it's kind of the same... I think I've seen her in another movie. I, I, the thing about it, she's got this nice sort of natural look to her, and she's not like super glamorous looking. She 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 could very she she has this really nice niche as like not super hot Hollywood looking actress. She could be sort of a plain person, but in a movie where they don't want anybody who actually looks plain. Like she's got that to her. Yeah, uh, but she I don't know. It's like you well, like I said, like I always give the actor the free pass and blame the writing. Like she's supposed to say scientific jargon in this. Yeah, yeah. But there's no there's no actual jargon for her to say anyway. But she has that annoying quality. Like you always say, TV actor as a term really dismissively. And I've noticed. It, okay, I don't know. if I'm assuming Thorin's not a TV actor. For he me. is actually. Okay, well there you go. Because I was going to say him and Laurie, they both have this thing where it's like they're only in one key the whole fucking movie. Yeah, exactly. That's all they have. It's their entire repertoire. Well, this is so, this is a TV movie. Yeah, it's so boring. Uh, Dig it, I think it's hit on it. This is like a kind of it's it's one of those crappy sci-fi disaster movies that. Somehow stealthed into a theatrical release. Out sharks. They didn't even give us the sharks. Jesus, dingus, you're right. Pathetic. But it's this is a fucking supposed to be an August summer blockbuster movie about tornadoes. Like Twister had different kinds of tornadoes. And... Well, let's talk then about how did we feel about the CG and the the um, what was it? Intense destruction and peril, dingus. What what did the MPAA feel the need to point out? No, you're absolutely right. Intense yeah. destruction and peril. I don't know. Again, I don't know if intense appends to peril, but it's intense destruction. Well, how did we feel about all the destruction and, and tornado effects in CG? I I felt myself <laughs> leaning forward in hope. There were a couple of moments where that, and I don't know if it's because of of, of how much I read the news and and how. Uh, how frightening that is, sort of on a, on a human level to understand the power of nature. But uh, there were a, a couple of, uh, and also I've, I've seen a couple of pictures lately of just of these amazing storm systems, and you just get the sense of of the power of nature. But but I just I wanted so much to at least have something in the movie take me away, like a that sense of wonder. Yeah, a sense of wonder or terror at at nature's just. Uh, just amazing, unbelievable power, but I could I just couldn't even drum it up for this. I yeah. I just felt like you know some anybody could generate these funnel clouds spinning down and then throw some jeeps around. Well, that that first scene, um, because before we've really seen a tornado, you know, there's a little teaser at the beginning where you don't see the tornado, and that was actually kind of a cool effect. This idea that the streetlights are popping, but it's because the tornado is coming down the dark street. Like, that's yeah. kind of a cool setup. Uh, and then the scene where you actually see the tornado and they're first chasing it, and it trashes a barn or something. I was kind of excited there because, okay, now we're getting some cool stuff. But as it tried to, like, raise the stakes and destroy new buildings and have the tornado coming down the street in the middle of town, and then it creates this tornado that's the size of Jupiter or whatever, I just got completely lost. It's the biggest storm that's ever been. I, I can't believe that was an actual line. It's ever been. It was been. so amazing. In, yeah. in billions of years, Tom, anywhere yeah. in the universe. <laughs> that's ever storm, been. And look, the town made it perfectly through. There's not even uh, – But I don't th- – yeah, so the destruction didn't do much for me, even to the point that – at what. At, they threw in, and this makes no sense, they just kind of spliced in the destruction of an international airport with some 747s yeah. in it. Yeah, in, this well, little, 
in his little town. Like, wait a yeah. minute. Yeah. Pawnee, Indiana. <laughs> what was that? Well, planes with no, there. Them, um, no people. It looked, part, I'm assuming. it looked kind of cool, but, you know, it's a cool concept. It's a trailer like, shot. It's a fucking trailer shot. I, yeah, Cali Wanda, I bet you're right. Yeah. Because yeah. I was in the trailer, and I went, oh, maybe that'll be interesting. I go, I hope the people on those planes are characters. Of course. <laughs> oh, because that makes it imply that, yeah, that it's taking down airplanes or something. Right. Well, the funny thing is I didn't even think it looked that good. Um, and these are the guys – this is a company called called uh, Hydraulics, which is a couple of brothers named uh, Colin and Greg Strauss, I think. And they did the movie Skyline. They did the effects for uh, L.A. But uh, they also they also did the effects for a movie called Take Shelter that we all like, mm. where the effects are kind of cool. They're not. It's not an effects movie. Um, but they were one of the many studios listed in the CG, and I I just wasn't that fond of even any of the CG. Um, no, I'm not. I wasn't either. But I'm I'm really I'm afraid that. The problem is, and I, and I seem to remember this, you know, because I don't want to crib from somebody, but I seem to remember this from reading a review of the movie Twister, <laughs> way back when, uh, that uh, that trying to make a, a giant like wall of wind that is picking up dirt look exciting because it's just going to be this big brown spinning wall look exciting is a fairly difficult thing to make look exciting. Yeah. Uh, and, and so when they're doing some of the funnels and, the, and they're all like, look, there's one over there, look, there's one over there, look, there's one over there, uh, I thought, well, okay, maybe. I mean, the Take Shelter stuff is so beautiful and it's based on real phot- photographs of storm cells. One of the, uh, one of the posters who posts excellent photographs on Corner 3, uh, brought that up. Um, and I, so I, I was kind of excited about the possibility of that, but they never really do any. And even what you guys are talking about, that that, that fire funnel, I mean, that didn't do – to me, that looked no better than any of the the uh, the flame effects in Fantastic Four, which I had to watch because my kid made me watch it. Well, right, right. For what, what I liked about that was the concept. Like, what if a tornado sucked up the fire from a, a fuel tank or a burning fuel right. tank? Right. He became a human torch, so yeah. – uh, how about those awesome tearful goodbyes uh, when the the kids are getting drowned uh, into the water? The thing is, the movie was giving us so much of that crap. It was just so. Oh well, yeah, and it was all bullshit because none of them die, right? And you knew. You, I could tell by how the. That's the thing. He's such a bad filmmaker that even during the goodbye scenes, I'm like, they're both gonna make it. So stupid. But the problem is that that lead kid. I mean, she's totally generic, and he and he is as well. But he's actively bad. I mean, he's actively yeah. bad. But Dingus, did you like how he obviously did some sort of like uh, as an actor? I'm sure he trained to get this part right. He had to make as part of his character's backstory. It had to be clear that he was really good at field dressing a wound. Oh, that's oh, yeah, right. Because his mom is in there. That's right. That's the thing. Which Your family member is. Does something. Which also helps you his dad, because she's made them all do CPR over and over again. <laughs> so that helped him at the end. She, uh, to watch yeah. him, he, he, he just takes a rag and he ties it around her leg and ties yeah. a knot. And then from, you know, the director couldn't even be arsed to make him do something that looked like he knew what he was doing. He's just tying a knot around. It reminded me, Dingus, when we saw... So if you're curious about whether or not Tango and Cash holds up versus Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man, <laughs> listen to the start of our Guardians of the Galaxy podcast. But one of the things I loved in Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man, is there's a moment where Don, Sha- John- Don Johnson has a wound dressing, and Mickey Rourke, who doesn't really know what he's doing, <laughs> is trying to sort of tend to the wound dressing. And he's just kind of using his finger to poke some kind of like 
cloth back into the dressing. I mean, he has no idea what he's doing, but he's obviously doing as a character some kind of busy work. It's like, what would this character do if somebody was wounded and he just wanted to sort of be sort of like Mother Hen, Don Johnson? And it's adorable. It's a cute little adorable uh, character touch. Right. And I, I thought of that watching this kid be supposedly good at treating wounds by just knotting a piece of cloth around this girl's leg. Uh, well, and she acts like he's done something amazing. Exactly right. How to do that? You right. know how to wrap a bandage? Yeah, that's totally in the script. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> My mom. Yeah. Kelly, what does it bother you when? I, well, so nothing bothers me, Tom. Well, I would think you of all people. So sometimes, you know, I'm a white-blooded American male, and white-blooded, when there's white-blooded? oh, sorry, red-blooded. red-blooded. That, no, no. <laughs> I am not a replicant. I mean, you're, I'm not, you're white-blooded. I'm not an artificial person. No, I'm a red-blooded American male, and that 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 girl is very attractive, and she was obviously very chesty, and she was wearing some tight clothes, and it started raining, and then of course the ceiling collapsed on them, and they're in the water, and I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'm totally all right with a little cheesecake in my movies. Let's see her running around in a tight, wet top. I'm okay with that. You know, it didn't happen. Kelly one, didn't that did that bother you or is it just me? Well, it bothered me when it went up to her chin. One, two, three, not only you and sneak on eighty degrees in between one, two, three, and also when the water did too. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Listen past the three by three for the payoff. <laughs> there, that's the payoff. It is now. Um, there was there wasn't a lot of payoff in this movie. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of, for me to make a sex joke from in this movie. Fairness. It is but, very PG thirteen. But PG-13. when Dingus said that tornadoes aren't inherently photogenic, like I thought tornadoes look kind of cool actually when they're good. No, I, I think what well the problem with making a tornado in a movie, and I mentioned this even before we saw this, is a tornado. You know, it takes five minutes. It shows up and it's gone. You don't see it coming. It. I thought it's there. Because Twister made me think they're just, they, there's tons of them. They move super fast and they create right. incredible destruction in a super quick amount of time. And it's a lot of debris and dirt being sucked into a cloud. And that's why they kill people is because they just show up super fast. They're fairly easy to live through a tornado, but you just, you get hit by debris, or you're in a trailer, or whatever, and I was actually in a situation exactly like uh, the situation with the school here, in in, in Arkansas. Really? Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I think it, it actually trashed our car, so I was driving the car to school, so it must have been maybe my junior year in high school, but, uh, uh, you know, a tornado hit our school, and, and there were tornado drills, you know, that we would have. And I remember thinking back on this. We all went into the cafeteria, which had these big, huge windows all around it. And it's amazing, that, which is actually the absolute wrong thing to do, because the pressure will shatter that glass, and it would have just shredded everyone's flesh. It would have been awful. But the tornado hit the school. It went over the school. There, you know, you hear that noise. You don't know what's going on. It comes and goes really quickly, and then it's gone. And then you go outside, and everything is different. You know, there's debris everywhere. Cars are turned over. We had the air conditioning unit from the top of the school dropped on my mother's uh, Toyota Celica. And I think it was something like the the third day I was allowed to drive that thing to school. And I got it smashed. Uh. Uh, Why did you park it there? No, no, it was awesome because the insurance bought us a newer model. 
Oh, nice. Which, yeah, so we got a new car out of that. And, what, and, and the premise, I think, I think so, of, of the movie Twister, if I remember it, if you'll excuse me, is that either Helen Hunt or Bill Paxton lived through one of those right. and as Hunt. a kid. And, and so their driving force is, why can't we find a way to warn people in advance? You know, like the way they can warn people about a hurricane or even about an earthquake. So let's find a way to warn people so they can get away. Well, Matt Walsh does press a couple of memory discs into someone's hand at the end and say, this will save lives. Oh, Jesus. Right. This, this data will save lives. By the way, I was seriously hoping, and maybe it's because this wouldn't happen because it wasn't a Final Destination movie, but the setup at the end with the trucks on either end of the storm drain connected by a winch cable, I was thinking that cable would whip around in there and puree every single one of those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to cut somebody <laughs> in half. That's, That's what amazing. I was thinking exactly, that, that tray... The annoying brother was just going to be cut in half, and at yeah. the end, he's like, "Oh, I- I'm injured," and it turns out he like he's just caught in like a six pack, like the the the. You cut him loose from yeah those plastic construction uh, gate things, yeah that you use to mark off like a ski path or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. See, that one is what makes it less cinematic. Is the tornado is cinematic, but you're looking at it from inside a storm drain. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the problem. A found footage tornado movie, maybe not a good idea. No, but like earthquakes are the LA one, and that like what's more boring than that? The film because he's just shaking the camera. Kelly, I want everybody in the Titus. <laughs> Do you want to get one? You have kind of a Titus. I like the Titus. I like the. That's another maybe redeeming. It was wasted. He uses it. That's the thing. The Titus's big moment has nothing to do with the salad forks. It's like in the air with a cable. Right. Like he doesn't even mention the cable, does he? As like, like the, no, no, he mentions it in the oh. video. Yeah. Did you like the Titus promotional video? Because I think that I thought that was Matt Walsh's finest moment. Yeah, I'm with you there, Dingus. Yeah, he's All like right. a bago guy. Enough about this thing. We don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Because maybe people just fast forwarded to the three by three because they want to hear a three by three about our favorite women in the military. Jesus military Christ! Why are you? That? Yeah. Why? Because there's not that many. All right. Well, uh, let's see what you came up with. Who's three by three? Is it next week? Who goes first? I, I'm go- I'm going next. Yeah, I'm, right. the, I'm the next three by three. Damn you, Tom. Dingus, give us your number three pick then. All right, my number three pick is Major Scarlet Levy, and this is played by Rose Byrne, and she is in the movie Twenty Eight Weeks. Uh, Dingus, no, you can't have that one. That's my number. Two. Police. Bad. Number what? Oh, my number three pick. Sorry. Oh. See, there's, there's going to be all repeats. Watch. Shut there's up. Gonna, there's going to be a lot of that, but I, I, don't, I wasn't sure, since she's a medical officer, if you would let me get away with that. What are you talking right? about? It's in the military. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Okay, so, she's part uh, of a, a NATO-led, I believe it's a NATO-led force. Uh, she's American in that movie, if I'm not mistaken. She doesn't do her Australian accent, right? Right, right. She exactly. saved that for neighbors. Yeah. Uh, and tell us about this character. What makes her one of your favorite military characters, Dingus? Uh, I just love the way that she. I, I love. I, I love some of the interchange with her and uh, and Doyle, who is played by Jeremy Renner. Um, I, I know, seriously. And I love this exchange they have, where where she says, uh, "Why aren't you at your post?" And, and he's like, "Why aren't you?" Uh, but <laughs> but um, the thing is, she notices the um, the. Uh, she examines the the kid's eyes. She's like, uh, "You, your eyes are green and brown," and she un- she understands the iris variation in there. And I just, I mean, I I hadn't known her up until then. I don't think that's uh, what I was wondering. Is that the first time we would have seen Rose Byrne? Really? Yeah, I think so because uh, because you know you know my kid is super interested in um, 
superhero movies, so he knows the X-Men First Class. We've watched that a bunch of times, and every time I mention Rose Byrne, he's like, oh, Rose Byrne. And, um, and so we watched that again this week, and I was like, oh, Rose Byrne, of course. But I don't know that we saw her before this, and I love her in this movie. I, I, but I, more than anything, I love the interplay between her and Jeremy Renner and how she res- she's, she's such an important part of rescuing those kids yeah. uh, instead of, like, the man coming in to rescue. I mean, he does his noble sacrifice, but she's a rescuer, and I love the way she, she, she plays that part. I love Rose Byrne. Uh, and it also, by, I think everybody knows by now, but it's really, it's, it's horrible that she has to die too. I mean, that's part of the whole point of yeah, any, yeah. any, almost any zombie movie, but the fact that she's not the one who, who ends up saving them and that she doesn't get the kids out of there, uh, it's so horrible. Um, yeah. You know, that's part of what makes a good character in a zombie movie is when they die, you hate that. Um, so I, one of the things that I really like about 28 Weeks Later, um, that Juan Carlos Fresnadillo did with this sequel to 28 Days Later, um, is it's about the military coming in and doing the best they can with a difficult situation. Right. And it's it's a great story to tell at a time when we were mired in this situation in Iraq, um, which is a similar situation. It's, it's the military genuinely trying to do a good, noble, right thing and, and just being in out of their depth and, and, and terrible things happening out of good intentions. And I've, we've had this discussion many times before, but I feel part of the point of 28 Weeks Later is that the military does everything right. And it's compassion, it's people bucking the system out for compassionate reasons that causes the failure in that movie. So there's this sense of the military as a benevolent force, almost like parents, kind of. Um, and this is mirrored at a personal level when Jeremy Renner, Rose Byrne, and the two kids are escaping. It's this kind of like new conception of a family. Yeah. You know, it's the mom and dad and two kids. And and the the beginning of that movie is about the family being torn apart and the destruction that, that, that comes from this zombie apocalypse. And, and by the time the movie is over, it's created this new family, and Rose Byrne, as a member of the military, is such a huge part of that new family. Um, so I love her as a, as, a, as, a, as a woman in the military and her role in that movie and what that represents. Um, but I also so like her, le- her level of strength in this. I mean, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. I really like how she cares that for her. I mean, it's, it's handled in this kind of a silly little way uh, when she has this exchange with Jeremy Renner's character where she's like, you 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 look a little pale, and, and he's this tough military dude, and he's like, blood makes me nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I love how she, as this this officer who is this medical officer, can handle all of that. And that is very much – and I, I didn't even think of it the way you put it, Tom, as this other sort of family role. It's very much sort of a, a maternal role. It's like I can handle the stuff you can't handle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, that's my number three. P- oh, oh, oops, Kelly Wand first. Kelly Wand, what is your number three pick then? My number three is Eva Green from 300 Rise of an Empire because she knew what was up. Oh, that's kind of a military woman. She yeah, it is. Was. I didn't even think of that. But that's you know my what? Number I, two. Yeah, that's awesome. Wait, no, I said they had to wear a uniform. You guys have to change your. What? She did. Uh, I don't think she did. She, uh, she doesn't wear a uniform, she just wears hot dresses. That's her uniform. Man, I'm sorry I didn't pick this then. That is the military. Dead gummit, I did modern military. You guys can't go into history. You didn't like say that. that. I know, but I did it when I picked made my Your pick. police badge was a Pinkerton badge. I just can't like, believe I'm the biggest fan of three hundred on this podcast. You guys oh. so you hate Eva Green and you hate characters. But she actually has a rank though. 
Yeah, she's Empress. And she's an assassin. She's no, an assassin. She's not an Empress. Empress, she's empress, not an, empress an assassin. An assassin. Those are, and neither of those are ranks, Kelly Wand. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a military rank. Well, I know it's a difficulty setting. <laughs> Civilization. Uh, is she an admiral? What does he call her? What do yeah, you she's, she's an admiral. No, she's not. She's the Persian naval commander. <laughs> naval commander. <laughs> I didn't think I was right, but I wanted to hear Dingus. So she has the same rank as Harrison Ford in Star- the Star Wars movies, commander. Good lord. No, he becomes a general. Oh, that's right. And Lando also becomes a general for this for betraying their other general. So, Dingus, that's your number two pick. Yeah, my, that's my number two pick. Yeah, she's the Persian naval commander in. Uh, in- ah, stupid Tom, pick that. And I love I, because I, because you don't really see and I and I was racking my brain this week thinking of 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 uh, of military women who aren't sort of beset upon uh, or victims, right. but are 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 um, are commanding something or leading something and leaders mm-hmm. uh, because when you think of men in military positions you think of honor you think of leadership you think of those types of 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 values uh and and as i was trying to think through it this week i couldn't help but fall upon uh the idea of how eva green is given that position of being the naval commander of the persian navy uh, and I didn't, you know, when I think of military, I don't necessarily think of the Navy. I'm sorry about that. Um, I think Dingus, of, whoa, whoa. Oh, you I, down of all people? I know. I think of I think of Army and the Marines and even the Air Force. But I, I for, for whatever reason, I don't think of that as being qualification for military, which, of course, it is. That's a stupid thing not to think. But as, as the naval commander, as the Persian naval commander, of course, she's commanding all of the Persian forces. And I love that she gets that. I mean, the movie starts with somebody else as the naval commander, of course, and then she works her way up to get that. And maybe you can argue that she hasn't worked her way up through the military to be promoted to that, but she's definitely the naval commander in that battle. Um, and I just, I love the way she commands the battle, not only as this badass who can fight, but as somebody who is actually trying to move the pieces because they have that scene where she has, you know, she's trying to strategize what the battle is going to do, what, what she's going to do in the battle. I mean, she's, she's, the, com- she's the commanding officer. And so, I, I, yeah, I'm crazy about this pick. Uh, I also like that, she, uh, that you know, she's willing to do what Xerxes – like she, she manipulates Xerxes. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. the one who gets him – gives him this idea. She twists what Xerxes' father wants him to do, namely leave the Greeks alone, by a subtle verbal trick into making Xerxes thinks – that he's a god and that he needs to go back and get the Greeks. So she's responsible for all this. And when Xerxes finally has his doubts, like she wants nothing to do with him. She's like, fine, you just sit here and watch while I take care of this. Exactly right. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So she's definitely in the driver's seat of the, the entire operation, by the way, not just the naval forces. Yeah. Which is surprising because it's like they wrote that into the script before they'd cast her, I would assume. But you would think that he killing him would be like the money shot of that movie. Killing like, Xerxes? Oh, yeah, because in 300, he's the villain and he kind right, of basically right. triumphs. So it's like, okay, this is the thing. But instead, he gets subverted by. What's her What's Earl. her name, Kelly Wand? What's the What's the character's the thing is, Let's see if you can get this. What's the character's name in 300: Rise of an Empire? You think Dingus will get it? Because I no, no, I, I'm sure Dingus would get it. I, I don't think you can get it. Artemisia. Whoa, Kelly Wand. Wow, he pulled it out. Awesome. I'm so proud of you. Now, Kelly Wand, tell me the name of that movie with uh, Elizabeth Olsen where she is recovering from being in a cult with John Hawks. 
Martha. Am I right yet? Keep going. I'll stop you if you mess up. Mary. Uh, oh, keep going. May. Keep going. Mary. Mary. Start Martha, the- Mary, May, Mag. Martha, Mary, May. Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Martha, Marcy. Wait, did I get it right? Now Kelly Wand has made me doubt myself. Dingus, I got that right, right? Uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for both of you, yes. who is the who is the character in Hercules played by Ingrid Bolso Berdahl? Oh, uh, oh Red shoot, the monkey. Shoot, shoot the monkey. Shoot the monkey. Shoot the monkey. It is something like Artemisia, though, isn't it, Dingus? It starts with an A. <laughs> Adel- Atalanta. Atalanta. Yeah, Adel- very good. Atalanta. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, she's a real goddess. All right, we all win except for Kelly Wand, who can't remember the name of Martha. Artemisia. Marcy. Marcy. I think him him remembering it was Artemisia is, is a pretty good thing. Yeah, that is quite an accomplishment for you, Kelly Wand. We're very proud of you. I can remember Greek ladies' names. Kelly Wand, what's your second favorite uh, woman in the military in a movie? <laughs> My number two is Princess Leia because she doesn't fight until the end of the last movie, but I'm assuming she's pretty fierce because she was like their only chick soldier. What's her rank? Yeah. She's a commando with an A. <laughs> Uh, look like for, uh, okay, so from what uh, from all the movies? Though? Oh yeah, yeah. Which, well, she only fights in Return of the Jedi. Up till then, she doesn't fight at all. Right. She's always getting dragged around and kidnapped and stuff. Not Mon Mothma, because isn't Mon Mothma like a general? She's supreme commander, or something, mm-hmm. right? Is that right? I don't know. I think she's just an admiral or general, or is it General Mothma? I don't know. God, here we are talking about Star Wars. Wait, she has the same first name as Admiral Akbar's planet, because that's Mon Calamari, but her name's Mon Mothma. Maybe she's from there. Mm. That explains a couple things. My it's, like second... it's like being named Nova Prime for some reason. Oh, yeah. That's right. so is she in the military? Is that the military? Is Glenn Close in Guardians of the Galaxy a woman in the military? Yeah, she's the chief of police. That's not she can military. do anything. She's the chief of police. Not the military, Kelly. Yeah. Not the police. Paramilitary, yeah. yeah. Is Ellen Brody in the military? It, she probably is in Jaws 4, which I haven't seen. Oh, you haven't seen it? That no. one's personal. Heck, why would I see that one? What? That one's personal. <laughs> Dude, you got to see how the saga ends. My number two favorite woman in the military. This is going to be an obscure one. You guys haven't seen it. Uh, so I want to tell you about a couple of filmmakers. Actually, mainly it's one guy named Jim Mickle. Kelly Wan, do you know this name? No, I don't. So, uh, Jim Mickle recently, his most recent movie is called Cold in July, and it's based, I think, on a Joe Lansdale story. Mm. Uh, and it stars Michael C. Hall and uh, Sam Shepard. I'm really psyched to see it. I, I missed it when it was in theaters. But Jim Mickle, before then, did uh, a, a movie called What We Are, which is about a family of cannibals. I don't necessarily recommend it. I didn't care for it. I think he's probably also known for a movie called Steakland, which is a uh, a, a it's not a vamp. It's not a zombie apocalypse. It's a vampire apocalypse where the world has been wiped out by vampires. Wait, so it's a zombie land? Exactly, yeah. but with vampires. I see. And uh, so there are bands of survivors who are you know wandering the the land, and and at one point the survivors come to a town, and somebody airdrops a bunch of vampires onto the town, and it, so it features a scene <laughs> of vampires being dropped out of the sky into this little. This little survivor settlement. Does Sun kill vampires if you're over the cloud line, like Glenn Walsh? You'd have to see. I don't remember a lot of Stakeland. I don't remember this. By the way, his name is Matt Walsh. Glenn Walsh. 
So anyway, before Jim Mickle did Cold in July, What We Are in Stakeland, he did a movie called Mulberry Street. This was like in 2006. Um, super low budget. It was with an actor named Nick, Nick DeMisi, who also writes with Jim Mickle. So the two of them uh, wrote, and then Jim Mickle directed Mulberry Street. And Mulberry Street opens with a woman in fatigues um, coming back from, and the movie doesn't tell us this, we only learn this because of a very short exchange with a man on the, on the train platform who says, you know, where were you? And she says that she came from a military hospital, and he says, I really appreciate what you were doing over there. This is pretty much all the backstory we hear about this woman who has just come back, presumably from the war in Iraq, and she has a scar on her face. And we later find out that she is coming home to her elderly father, I think. And she has some trepidation with her scarred face about returning to her family. You know, she's obviously recovering from an injury. And as she is crossing the town to get home, it's not really a zombie apocalypse, but there's a weird disease outbreak. So Mulberry Street, it's about several characters, but one of the main characters is this woman returning from Iraq with a scarred face, trying to get across New York City during the outbreak of this this rat-borne disease, which kind of turns people into zombies. Um, and, and Mulberry Street, I really like for what for how ambitious it is, considering it's it's low budget. But I also really like it for how the typical tough military guy who who wades into the zombie apocalypse with all the training and kicks some ass is instead this woman dealing with the fact that she has basically lost her beauty you know which is a powerful asset for a woman in the war um and the scar prominently figures into the outcome of the movie into what happens to her um so that's my second favorite woman in the military the actress's name is kim blair uh and the movie is mulberry street kelly one why were you laughing at that um, I was just wondering if Mulberry was a real berry. I do not know. It is a real street, apparently. Um, uh, well, I was laughing, too, that... I can't remember. Because you see, you know, when you when you have in a movie a dude with a scar, like, scars on dudes is like a cool, awesome thing, and it makes them look like a tougher hero. You know, when you have a woman with a scarred face in a movie, I think that's kind of rare. And the fact that it's also something that she's struggling with, uh, I, I really uh, appreciated that that was part of Mulberry Street. Yeah, I think that what, what you – and I think it was a natural reaction. What, I, I may be wrong, but I think Kelly's reaction was what you said about uh, her losing her beauty, which is part, part of her power. Well, it is like, uh, you know, the the typical thing about the man coming back from the war who's maybe lost a limb and he's lost some of his potency or, or his power as a man. You know, a lot of born on the Fourth of July is struggling with having, I guess, you know, sexual drive as well. Like all like you've been deprived. not even sexual drive, but sexual ability. I mean, right. impotent, literal, literal impotent. And then that's kind of a theme of this this war veteran. You know, a, a wounded war veteran has been sort of deprived of his power as a man. Right. So here, the, the variation is this woman, she's perfectly capable, by the way, and she kicks some ass, but she's, she's deprived of having an unmarred face, uh, which is something that, for, for better or worse, women are valued for. You know, do you have a pretty face? Okay, you can get a job, or you can be a model, whatever. Um, and this is a sort of a variation on that, where the man comes back from the war and his manhood has been impacted somehow. She's come back from the war and her, her beauty has been impacted. Um, you know, and I think that's a really good point, actually, because you know, as a as an infant, my my son had to have surgery uh, that would leave a scar on him, and I, and you know, people were like, "Oh no, he's going to have a scar," and, and I was like, "For for a, a boy 
having right. a scar on it on his chest is just not going to be that big of a deal. For a dude, for a man. Yeah, yeah, for a dude, for a for, yeah. as he gets to be a man, he's, it's just going to be like a badge of courage. Yeah. And for a woman to have a scar in the same place would be really difficult for her to explain. It's a, it's a whole different paradigm. Yeah, and on her face, even even all the more. All yeah, the yeah, yeah, absolutely, even more. So a scar. Yeah, I mean, I I like that you you sort of you couch that in terms of power. Yeah. There's something kind of sexy about appendectomy scars, though. <laughs> right. Or even just you know, shows you Marins. Maybe even what? Nothing. I was going to make some sort of a Lucy reference, but I decided not to. Spoiler. I, Paul, I, yeah, I, that's why I decided not to say anything. Dinkus, who's your favorite woman in the military from movies? All right, my favorite woman in the uh, military in movies is I can safely say neither of you jokers will choose this woman. Oh, is it from I, Singing in the Rain? Yes, because Debbie Reynolds was a. Singer. No. Wait, are you serious? Of course I'm not serious. Oh. <laughs> I would have believed that. There's probably some ancient black and white grandpa movie with dancing and singing and Fred Astaire that has some some they weren't they were called wax though, weren't they? Like they weren't actually in the navy. Like, Does singing in the rain have tornadoes in it? That they say uh, so. All right, sorry, Dingus, what? Incorrect. All right, the, the quote I would use from this particular movie um, that this particular military woman says is, what doesn't matter what happens to me? What doesn't matter what happens to me? No, uh, oh. what she says is, what does it matter? Oh, what does it matter what happens to me? What okay. happens to me. So can I make the obvious guess because I've never seen it? You can make the obvious guess, but I know you've seen it. I have not seen Courage Under Fire, if that's what you're thinking. Oh, no, no. Uh, that's a good one. Oh, oh, I know what it is. Is he picking Edge of Tomorrow? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, she's in the military. All right. So Even this though, is... I'm so, I mean, we differ on this, but I was like, no, do you, I didn't like how she was used in this. I wanted her to be the boss more. Okay, but go ahead. Well, I think she is the boss. I mean, it, this is Sergeant Rita Vertasky. Uh, she's obviously in the military. She's, she's a sergeant. Each one of my uh, picks has a rank. Uh, my first one is a major, the second one is a naval commander, and this one is Sergeant Rita Vertasky. Um, and I think that she is the thing that makes this movie happen. I mean, obviously, it has to be Tom Cruise's movie, but it's because of her understanding of where the movie has gone before, uh, or rather where the story has gone before, that makes it his ability to actually make it happen because of that moment on the battlefield where she says, you know, come and find me when you wake up. Um, and I just love, I, I love the way Emily Blunt plays this character. It's not just how, uh, how freaking sexy she looks or how, um, how amazing and how strong she is and, and how she's able to play all these different colors of this character. But I, I love this military character. And I, I think that, that she's a great female hero in the military. Uh, even though that, even though we disagreed on how she was used. Uh, I, yeah, man, I love me some Emily Blunt and just remembering just images of her. I, I'm totally down with your pick when I just think of like isolated moments and, and images of her and her doing that yoga and, uh, yeah, mm. all right. But Tell even you. all the, the little sacrificial moments that she has to do. Um, I mean, they're, they're, there's difficult moments that she has to pull off as a as a character that are weird and sacrificial and the realization in the farmhouse where she's like how many times have we done this or in the van i mean i 
I love the way she plays this part, and and it's you know yeah it's science fiction, and I could have picked something that was more standard, but uh, but you know thinking through the things that we've looked at, I really loved her as a military character. I bet I can get you on board with this, Dingus. Don't you wish she had used her sword more? Oh yeah, there you go. Kelly, one what is was on the other night, and I. Yeah, you're watching chopping some wood, if you know what I mean. Yeah, literally. Yeah, she was on, I thought of you going. Yeah, she's more hardcore in Looper than and. But the thing is, with Looper, there's like a kid and like weird faced Jay Gord in it. Sorry, it's just distracting me from her. <laughs> Kelly, one. Who's your favorite woman in the military and movies? Um. Okay, so Catwoman's not in the military, right? I actually don't know her backstory. I couldn't tell you. Well, there's really only one number one. Really? Go ahead. Bring it up. Let's hear about her. It's obviously... I mean, because it was from a time when it was still kind of a cool, revolutionary, different thing, right? It's how she does it. It's also maybe the contact lenses, because, you know, that's not a real eye color. Wait, are we both talking about Liza Minnelli and Arthur? (laughs) And it's also the bandana. Jeanette McDonald. Her name's Jeanette Goldstein. What's her name? Jeanette Goldstein. Thank you. Is that your pick? Yeah. She's the best military woman of all time in any movie. So here's my problem with Vasquez. Did you guys both pick that? No, no, I didn't pick it. Here's my problem with Vasquez. I mean, Vasquez is certainly a memorable character, but Vasquez is is just a a chick playing a dude's role, and it's Mm. basically saying that a woman to be in the military – has to have a man's toughness and has to be able to do the has to basically be the equivalent of Drake, who's her sidekick. And that, that was very subversive back then to actually show, oh well, yeah, a woman is that tough. But it was part of just Cameron's hard on for really tough women with toned arms. Right. And I loved it and it worked for me. And it was a way better representation of women in the military, I guess, than stuff like Private Benjamin. Um <laughs> <laughs> But remember how remember when she kills the alien by stepping on its head? No, 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 I know. And her you always were an asshole Gorman. I mean, her noble sacrifice. Vasquez is absolutely kick-ass, but I kind of feel like we've moved beyond that. You know, a woman in the military doesn't just have to be a a dude with boobs. And I kind of feel like that's what... She's She definitely is. How how does Vasquez express any sense of femininity other than the fact... She denies her femininity. Yeah, right, exactly. There's the the primary joke that she says that basically denies her femininity. And that's the have you ever been mistaken for a man thing, Dingus? No, yeah, no, have you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I love I love that character. I love just how, how uh, Cameron does this the typical thing where the squad of uh, soldiers have different personalities and and how he he cast that and wrote some of their dialogue and it crackles and it's it's a one time. I mean, it's, it's an impeccable action movie. Um, but I really don't think Vasquez. I think we've so moved past that Vasquez representation. Um, I don't know what that means. I just like her as a character, and I, I like how she kills I aliens. Okay, yeah. I, I love her. I think she's yep. the she's one of the most awesome characters ever. I love her. Yeah. And when she was introduced, I'm like, oh, the, see, this is what they didn't have in the first movie that the aliens not going to know what to deal with. Right. All right. Well, you know, I, well, yeah, yeah. But uh, like you're just saying, we've moved past it, so therefore it's not a valid pick. No, I'm saying she's not my favorite representation of, of women in the military because she doesn't represent women in the military. But she's the most military woman. Okay, fair enough. She so, is the most conventional 
nah. standard representation of what it takes to be a soldier who happens to have a woman playing the part. But you know what else, too? Here's what you're forgetting. She was kind of tiny also. So she was like kind of a tiny little – like I like – like Uma Thurman in Kill Bill to me is interesting because she's skinny, so okay. she has, she uses her thinness to like dodge swords and shit. And so Vasquez to me was someone who was like this sort of fierce little fire plug fighter, and she but she had like the biggest gun too. She had like the big fucking chain. Well, gun. the same size as Drake's. You know, they both had those uh, the smart guns on the the steady cam uh, harnesses. Yeah, but his is higher up because he's a bigger dude. Well, oh, you have a point. She's got those. <laughs> she doesn't need to crouch. Look, I, I don't mean to. I don't. I don't mean to say that I don't agree with your pick. And I, anybody in his right mind would absolutely think of Vasquez when this comes up. I just feel like it's a, a very dated approach. You know, this is a time when women in the military in in fighting roles was something that. Just we didn't do, and we didn't believe in, and we've come. You know, what was it? Thirty years ago? How old is aliens? Yeah, yeah, but here's the okay, but like, wait, aliens was before T two, right? So it's like, remember when Linda Hamilton yeah. supposed to become the kind of Vasquez character, right? Like the survivalist, yeah. the tough survivalist. Yeah, yeah but that's that wasn't an issue of the military, though. No, that's what I'm saying. But it's like that. Here's the thing. It's like. Like, for once, I'm giving the actor credit for the role. Like, it's kind of a – it's sort of a – I agree with you. Like, it was sort of a, just a, a dated, conventional role. But I thought she really made it as much. As oh, right. Time. If we want to talk about – yeah, Jeanette Goldstein. I'm with you yeah. 10%. The, the casting in that is awesome and that yeah. she transforms into that character. I mean, when you look at her in, in Terminator or any in any of James Cameron's movies, right, right. that she transforms into Vasquez. I mean, I am crazy about her in that movie. And we and never I, see her again. No, we see her a lot of times. Are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. She's Is definitely we? been around. Yeah. She, she's in like crappy horror movies these days. Actually, uh, Dingus and I have a friend who does theater who's worked with Jeanette Goldstein in like the theatrical oh. production in the last few years. But she, she didn't go on to become Michelle Rodriguez. Unfortunately, right? no. You're absolutely right. Well, she's not how many Hispanic. people can, yeah. That's true. And she's also not Hispanic. Uh, Jeanette Goldstein is a blue-eyed woman. Yeah. Yeah. And, she, oh. and, and see, she's... she's She's in Terminator 2. I think she has a small part in Lethal Weapon. Titanic. She's in Titanic. She's in Titanic. She does a lot of stuff, and she. I just love that she, the way she transformed herself to be that role. And I just wonder. I mean, I mean, you look at all the like strong females through that series. I mean, of course, starting an alien, obviously, uh, but you can't you can't make Ripley into a military character. But uh, but the but. What she actually looks like in real life, and that she made herself into Vasquez, is amazing. I yeah. love that. Yeah. 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 So, so no, it's, a, it's a great pick. Just I, I just do have some objections with, uh, personally, with you know, sort of what it, it's. Why, here's here's what I'm saying. It's why she's not on my list. <laughs> because she's too. Uh, because I don't feel she represents women in the military so much as it's just plugging uh, an, a female actress. It's again. It's a male. It's a it's a dude with boobs role. Yeah, like Princess Leia, like. Uh... <laughs> but I, yeah. uh, all right. So here's my number one pick, and partly the kind of thing that I was looking for with my pick for for Kim Blair in Mulberry Street, uh, Rose Byrne in um, in Twenty Eight Weeks Later. My favorite representation of women in the military, and what actually made me think of this, because. It's not an actress. Well, here's a, here's a line. Uh, the line is, I'm Chief O'Brien. I'll be your corpsman today. Can you please tell me what's going on? And this is the first line that a woman uh, who's actually a Navy hospital corpsman named Danielle Albert has to Tom Hanks at the end of Captain Phillips. 
Um, and it's it's that that one scene where this woman, who she's a Navy corpsman, you know, that's what you call a medic in the Navy, um, is tending to a, a rescued hostage victim. Um, and I just love that scene where she's talking to Tom Hanks and she's going through these this medical process. She could be a doctor, you know, it's a, it's a but it's a it's a medic role. But Danielle Albert is actually a, a, a military woman. She's a woman in the military. It's not an actress playing her. They were shooting on this ship, and um, Paul Greengrass got um, pick up this cat. Paul Greengrass got one of the crew members <laughs> of the ship. Uh, to say, hey, can you come do this scene with Tom Hanks? Just go through the same uh, process you would do if you were treating someone who'd been rescued. And I love that scene in Captain Phillips. Don't care for the rest of the movie, but I watched it uh, on YouTube. And that, that just that one scene right there is so fantastic. And it's partly Tom Hanks responding to her, how emotional he is. But it's also just her her professionalism and caring in that one scene. Which is what you wanted in... Your military woman talk. No, it's just you know uh, this is a this is an example of modern. Yeah, and, and it didn't have to be a woman, by the way. I'm sure a male corpsman would be the same kind That's of thing. That's what I'm saying. That, but that, you, but Jeanette McDonald Goldstein, like you said, she's so the, just a dude with boobs. But this woman could have been a medic with a dick. Um, yes, but she wasn't. I mean, and when I say dude, exactly. the, the military isn't just people who shoot guns. You know, that's that's what it is in Hollywood. That's what it is in movies. So if you want a woman to be in the military, you just make her shoot guns super badassly. But Kim Blair is a returning uh, Af- uh, Iraq War veteran, Rose Byrne in 28 Weeks Later, and this, this Navy corpsman who tends to a rescue victim – um, you know, the military has all kinds of different roles and women can play them. I, and I, I just, I like the way that they're represented in, in these different movies that I've talked about. Vasquez mm-hmm. is just a dude shooting a gun. I guess I don't really know much about the military. It, they do more than shoot guns. I actually did used to feel very strongly about like, I don't think women should be in combat roles. Um, and I've sort of come around on that. And so has, has the, the actual military, um, Wait, in any? You mean as medics even, or is? Well, those aren't combat roles. I, I, actually, is a medic a combat role? I don't know. No, yes. I used to have this idea. Battlefield, it is. Medics are, are armed. They're on the battlefield. Are they armed? Yeah. Mm, really? I don't think so. They have those little pistols. I'm not played, sure. I played oh, medics. Battlefield, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I used to have this idea that if you introduce into the military the possibility of, of sexual dynamics, like male-female relationships, or even even gay relationships between men, that it could undercut military, uh, like, like like chains of command and the military structure. Um, that that this romantic attraction, love, sexuality, would be subversive to military cohesiveness. Um, and that was kind of my rationale for thinking women shouldn't be in combat roles. If they want to be part of the support structure, that's fine. Uh, and gays should not be in the military. I used to be very conservative about certain things. Uh, and I've since come around to that. I mean, I think part of the point of being in the military is that you have training that overrides natural right. human instincts. So, yeah, let let uh, homosexuals be in the military. Let women fight alongside men if that's a career path they want to choose. Um, but I used to feel very differently. Um, huh. So yeah, so these these for for me the picks were I just feel representations of what the military can do and they were played by women. You know, none of them had to be women. I, I don't think. Uh, well, except maybe the, the Mulberry Street one. 
Uh, and certainly for you guys' picks, like Artemisia, the whole point of her is that she is a woman. It, right. is that she was she was basically a rape victim, a slave. Um, Kelly one, I don't know what's going on with your uh, Princess Leia pick. Um, <laughs> and certainly Emily Blunt had to be a woman because her character, because part of Edge of Tomorrow is about their uh, romantic attraction to each other. So that had to be about a romantic relationship. So unless it was going to be a movie about a homosexual relationship, she had to be a woman there. Um, well, the Princess Leia thing was they'd obviously run out of troops, so they had to get even the royalty fighting. Man, those were tough times back in the yeah. Star Wars, in the days of the Star Wars. <laughs> she had a pistol and she knew bombs, I guess. What, that, what was up with that pistol? I'm used to have a Princess Leia figure, and she had this weird little long. Yeah, the weird. Uh, yeah. yeah, what the hell was that? It was a cool pistol. Paul Weimer writes. <laughs> Favorite military women. I went with one obvious awesome choice and two obscure ones. Number three, Hannah Schmitz, played by Kate Winslet in The Reader. Mm. In the hopes, mainly, that no one else is going to remember that she was an SS guard. Remember that, Dingus? No. Number two. I didn't see that movie. Dingus did. Number two, uh, Commander Frankie Cook. Huh? Played by Angeline Jolie uh, in Sky Captain, The World of Tomorrow. Wow. Because only 14 people, including me, saw the film. I, I like saw, that movie. Yeah, I, I saw it, and I remember liking Gwyneth Paltrow in it a lot. I love George uh, Olivier in it. Wait, was Gwyneth Paltrow in that, or did I just make that up? That's the one where Matt Damon's in a mech suit, right? I don't remember that part. Hey, yeah. No, it's Jude Law, isn't it? Yeah, Jude Law's in it. Isn't Gwyneth Paltrow in that? Maybe not. Yeah, no, she is. Okay. I don't remember Jolie all of a sudden. No, she's like a, she was like a, it was a Vasquez thing, dude with boobs. Kind See? Same to recall. Uh, Paul Weimer's number one pick, Captain Peggy Carter in Captain America, played by Haley Atwell. Paul Weimer uh, writes, he picks her because she's awesome. Mm, see? That's why I picked Vasquez. Arthur Giovinginelli. Uh, oh, look here, guys. Captain Phillips, Petty Officer Daniel Albert at the end of the movie. Only a small scene in which a medical examination takes place, but I feel it's the high point of the movie. Tom Hanks is acting like crazy, and Albert is just doing her job, and the contrast works so well. Is he a captain in the military, too, Captain Phillips? 300, yeah. Rise of an Empire, for Arthur Giovanginelli's number two pick. See? Eva Green plays Artemisia, the harsh and brilliant commander of the Persian naval forces. Hopefully this position qualifies her for this 3x3. Three three. Absolutely, Arthur. Green gives life to this historical figure. Is she a historical figure, by the way? Yeah. I mean, it takes but like, place in the past. But, so, like, there was really a female commander of the Persian Navy? Uh, she was an empress. I'm not talking to you, Kelly. An assassin. <laughs> that part was true. I just assumed that this was kind of like the, the Battle Rhino in 300. It was just right. they made up for the movie. I didn't know right. that. Uh, let's see. This is such an unexpected gem of a movie. Yes, it is, Arthur. Uh, and a large part of why it works is Green's performance as the enemy commander. Ooh. Seeing Artemisia draw a bow is an image that could make Jennifer Lawrence jealous. Mm. Oh, yeah. See, no one saw Hercules but us. It's a lonely feeling, isn't it? And then Arthur's number one pick, Edge of Tomorrow. Emily Blunt plays Sergeant Rita Vratosky, also known as the Full Metal Bitch. Blunt completely steals the show. I love seeing her fighting mimics. 
haha, he remembers what they're called, uh, with a Final Fantasy VII style sword, taking the battery pack from a dying soldier without so much as a thank you, and teaching Tom Cruise all she knows. Tough and capable, Blint turns a memorable performance, turns in a memorable performance in what could easily have been a forgettable one. Mark Liberatore writes, um, Carmen, played by Denise Richards, mm-hmm. from Starship Troopers, who, uh, yeah. who pens a Dear John letter to the protagonist. Sorry, Rico, I'm a career woman. <laughs> uh, he picks Rita Vertasky again, says Emily Blunt can do no wrong. Uh, and then Vasquez is the picture of military competence and bravado all the way to the bitter end. With the all with the you always were an a hole Gorman line, uh, Mark writes a hole, but I'm pretty for, pretty sure she actually says in the movie asshole, right? Wait, of all the Starship Troopers characters, he picked Denise Richards. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. You know what? I'm kind of partial to uh, Spunk. No, no, Spunk Meyer. Uh, Dina Meyer. Is it Meyer? No, no, no. You're talking the about... The pilot of the... Uh, yeah, the of pilot the of those dropships. What was her name? Spunk Meyer is her little sidekick. She's like... The one who goes, someone made a big mistake. Oh, oh, Dietrich. Isn't her name Dietrich? I don't know, but when I was thinking of aliens, you know, Vasquez popped to mind, but then I thought of her dropping, doing the dropship. I'm like, if I'm going to pick somebody from aliens and I can't think of anybody else this week, I'm picking her. Yeah, she's the in-the-pipe five-by-five chick. Exactly, yeah. She's yeah, so she's, competent and awesome. Yeah. She's got, like, those aviator glasses, and I think she's, like, yeah. chewing. Yeah. Uh, Shaheen Ali writes uh, that he thinks his choices are pretty obvious. His number uh, his number three pick, Tanya Chernova in Enemy at the Gates. Oh. Uh, I, saw this, I saw this and could not remember if she was a soldier. Subsequent investigation revealed that she was part of a team of snipers harassing the invading, invading German army. Now, I haven't seen this, but is that is that Rachel Weiss by any chance? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. awesome. It's a good sex scene on it. It's a lot of snow. Hmm. So, uh, number two pick Jordan O'Neill in GI Jane. Oh, I almost picked this, but then I couldn't remember anything else she did except say "suck my dick." Well, Shaheen writes, "Does my pick count, even though I never saw the movie?" <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I think Shaheen, I'm going to have to agree with that. Which means uh, we're going to plug into your number two pick, Shaheen, your runner-up, which is uh, Captain Carmen Ibanez, Star- Starship Troopers. Uh, a bloody, what? a bloody, messy, fun movie that was not hurt by Denise Richards' character. <laughs> Wait, that's why I picked her. It wasn't hurt by her. It takes a lot for a movie to not be hurt by Denise Richards' performances. I mean, that's it's really different. Think of Tammy right. and the T Rex, Kelly. Walker. She's also well, yeah, but she's also playing a math genius in Starship Troopers. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, she's a she's a she's a wizard pilot who like. Oh, she's, well, who is she is Agent Christmas in whatever? Uh, the nuclear, that's a nuclear physicist, Dingus. Oh, my mistake. Yeah. By the way, I, I did see G.I. Jane, and I thought the first, the most of the movie is pretty good, and she's that's a pretty good character. I mean, it's a, it's an, I mean, I I I with that for a little while. What'd you say? Does she fight in it? Is there like a war? Well, most of the movie, and the the best part of the movie is her having to go through basic training, and then the and then the movie makes the mistake of of you know, I mean the the arc of the movie is her making it through basic training, and then it does this weird tack on. Well, we're gonna throw her into some weird combat at the end. It oh, doesn't make any sense. They do a Full Metal Jacket. And yeah, a top exactly. Gun. Yeah, yeah. But but except for the Full Metal Jacket is like. 
you know, ten minutes or seven minutes at the end where, okay, we're going to throw her into combat now. Oh. <laughs> and it's like the sequel of the movie. We're just going to give it to you right now. What is the combat? What war was going on? I don't even remember. I just remember Sand Dunes. So huh. I, I have no idea what the hell is going on. I just remember really liking G.I. Jane until – because it's – the real struggle is just a female getting into the mill, getting to be a marine, and getting to go, getting even the privilege of going through basic training, if you want to call it a privilege, and wanting that so badly. That's that's the point. It's not necessarily going out into combat and proving herself. She proves herself there, and I think to me, Moore does a, an awesome job. And I mean, I think it's a really good movie for that part of it. Who it's, proves him or herself more, Dingus? Demi Moore in G.I. Jane or uh, Richard Gere in Officer and a Gentleman? I have never seen Richard Gere in Officer and a Gentleman. At the end of G.I. Jane, does she go to the guy's work and then pick pick him up and then carry him out? Yes. thing is, I don't know what Kelly's talking about either. Officer and a Gentleman. Oh. <laughs> I, just, I didn't remember that part. I just remember Richard Gere sobbing and going, I had nowhere else to go. What if Demi Moore had played Private Pile in Full Metal Jacket? Shaheen's number one pick, <laughs> Private Vasquez in Aliens. Is she a private? Wait a minute. He's demoted her. Oh, no, she is a private. She's Private Vasquez? But she gets to be in charge of the chain gun? Because Apone is a sergeant, right? Yeah. Yes. So she is a private. All right. But it's futuristic ranks, so there's only three. Uh, Chris Markardson <laughs> says... <laughs> Um, he has only two picks for military women, uh, and he thinks that one of them is going to elicit groans. And he's, he misspells illicit. Sorry to pick on you for that, Chris. I did the ILL. Yeah. So they, these might be illicit groans mm. that are elicited. Let's find out. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. That was a real uh, dick move on my part, but I couldn't. Uh, it's the copy editor in me. Uh, Chris's number two pick is – oh, God, I'm pre-groaning uh, – Kirsty Alley as Lieutenant oh, Savick from The Wrath of Khan. Wow. I'm no longer embarrassed by my choices. Oh, my God. This just made me so... Yeah, oh, that's a good... Okay. Go Princess Leah. It's no longer the stupidest thing I've said. Chris writes, this was back when she was quite striking, and well before she started to morph into the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Oh, Chris, mean. Too soon. So mean. She didn't hurt that movie, though. That's true. She she managed uh, to not Denise Richards it. Yeah. Military women who don't hurt things are the most effective. I do I do love that they keep calling her Mr. Savick. What? They call her Mr. Savick. That's her rank though. Mr. Mr. Yeah, that's the highest is, thing. Is she a Klingon or don't they put like ears on her or something? No, she's, she's a part Vulcan. Vulcan, honestly. Oh, oh, God. oh right, 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 right. Trolled us, Kelly. Klingons are uglier. No, I do keep forgetting the Vulcans are the pointy eared ones. They're part pig. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's this awesome sort of thing that the military does, where where they call, like, where where a spy like talks to her, Mr. Christian, Mr. Savick, yeah, Mr. Christian, I will have no mutinies aboard this chick. Yeah, it's a British thing. It sounds like kind of. So that's what's weird about aliens with ears submitting to 1820s British. Aren't, I think that's a perfectly cromulent pick. That's aren't there a lot of military movies where like a woman in in a position of command is like someone says yes sir and no sir to the woman? Like it's yeah. that kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Do they do they say sir to Emily Blunt in Edge of Tomorrow? I don't know. I just remember that okay. moment where he's like, "Look, it's the," and she just like knocks the guy out while she's walking past him. But she called Dominatrix "ma'am" and not "sir," so it's weird. 
Is that a military thing, Kelly Wand? Uh, they think it is. Chris writes, my number one pick is Eva Green as Artemisia. Ah, so bummed I didn't see? think of this. I think the movie made her a far more compelling character than any of the heroes, and I was hoping that somehow she would win in the end. You hate Greeks. Now, I thought for sure Tom would have this one, too. I just, yeah, I, I, yeah, I wasn't thinking ancient militaries. Because he loves strong women characters, usually. And he was like, nope. <laughs> well, I think he was thinking more, and he said this earlier on about having about a woman in uniform. Yeah, like I was thinking so, that. Yeah, that's true. But did she have a little? She did not have a uniform. No, I mean the costume is not is definitely yeah. not the uniform. But when you're a woman, that's your uniform. No, nah, nope, not a uniform. Kelly. No, one. I can accept it. Yeah. What? Uh, runners up. I've never seen Courage Under Fire. Oh, it's kind of good. It's kind of Rashomon. Yeah, it's, Ed, it's an Ed's Wick movie. Um, yeah, I have. It, it's kind of, yeah, it's fine. All right. Meg Ryan talks Southern in it. Kind of. Ooh, I don't know that I want that. <laughs> what? <laughs> Meg Ryan talks Southern in it. She talks kind of Southern in it. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know who brought up uh, yeah. Jennifer Lawrence uh, when they were making fun, or like like saying that it would put Jennifer Lawrence to shame. If Green would put Jennifer Lawrence to shame. Right. Uh-huh. Might have been Paul Weimer or Arthur Jovagelli. Uh, but uh, I really kind of – I had a hard time with this. I kind of wanted to skirt the issue. Get it? Because of this awesome scene where she wants to join the military in what? Winter's Bone. Um, <laughs> that's oh, right. that's, well, that's a good idea. That is awesome. I forgot about that part. Uh, but I did. I, I just couldn't figure out a way to uh, to finesse it so that you guys wouldn't. That's a great scene. Because you know what? They could have used her. That's the cruelest part of it. It's well, they, they certainly could have used her, and she was trying to use them to get money for her family. Right. It would have been right. a win-win. Right, right. That's women in the pre-military. Yeah. Exactly right. Three women. Uh, there's a movie that I don't really like, but I really loved the idea. I was looking forward to it. Michael Shannon is actually in it. Uh, an actress named uh, – is it Linda, Linda Cardinelli? Cardinelli? Cardellini. Cardellini, yes, yes. Um, where she plays uh, a woman coming back from, I don't know if it's Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, she's she's a veteran suffering from post traumatic stress disorder, and it starts to impact like how she's taking care of her kids, and it causes a rift with her husband, Michael Shannon. Um, but it's again, it's that standard thing, you know, a man comes back from a war, and he's either wounded or he's got some sort of. Uh, uh, psychological baggage and he struggles with it it's that kind of movie but told from the perspective of of a woman in the military and michael shannon is her husband uh called i think it's called the return um mm. but I, don't, I didn't necessarily like it but i i liked the script for it i liked the idea of it uh, I other, thought, yes i i toyed with jessica chastain in zero dark 30 the CIA is not the military yeah. that they want. You can't bend the CIA. No, <laughs> what? What's the difference? See it between the military and the CIA? Kelly Wan, you would be perfect in the Bush administration. <laughs> <laughs> it's not illegal if the American government does it. Uh, all right. Dingus Wait, uh, the, oh, yes. the, one, uh, the one other one I had uh, that I just came to late because of somebody bringing up G.I. Jane and then the, in the next – the next one brought up somebody else that made me think of this is is Demi Moore as um, I think she plays a lieutenant commander and I can't remember her actual name uh, in J- in the JAG uh, Corps in A Few Good Men. <laughs> oh no, of course, right? What? Yeah. Oh yeah. Does she do anything though? 
Yeah, I think she's a great. I think she's great in that movie. I think she's she's a wonderful uh, sort of foil for what Tom Cruise is doing. Uh, I think she's I think she's wonderful in that. And, and and also I think she she works great with uh, what's his name? Uh, Jack Nicholson. No, no. Uh, who plays Christian Slater? Kevin Pollock. I think she and Kevin oh, Pollock yeah, have yeah, this yeah. great sort of back and forth. It's, you know, I object. Oh, is, that, is that the way it works? I, I strenuously object. Is that how it happens? Well, then, Dingus, what happened in Margin Call? I don't know. Uh, I think she's... Uh, that's a good point. I don't know. She's playing the disclosure character. In that. Does that count as military? Are you talking about in Margin Call? Or disclosure. Oh, she's horrible. I just don't think she. I don't think she can punch at that weight class. Yeah. I think that with with Tom Cruise and <laughs> Kevin and, and Kevin Pollock, she's right. fine. But with with the people she's punching with in Margin Call, I don't think she. <laughs> All right, Dingus. What three by three do you have for us next week? All right. So next week, these are your f- three favorite graveyard scenes. Ooh. Uh, Wait, it's not Halloween yet. Oh, I got one for that. Awesome. Great. Oh man, I got a couple for that. Dingus. Man. Yeah. Man, Dingus is sitting on a good one. Awesome. Uh, this it's actually just came sucks. to me uh, very recently, and I'll let you know. Actually, geez, I can't even remember. Hold on. Geez, I can't even remember what made me think of it. But uh-huh. it, it came to me recently, and I can't even... Oh, nope, you're going to forget crap. by the time we record, Don't and say you're going to remember talking, after stop. we record. Damn it. Uh, if you're listening, we want to hear your favorite graveyard scenes. Send them in to pick one, two, three. Pick as many as you like. We'd love to read your picks on the air. Tell us why you picked them. Send them to 3 by 3 at quarter2three.com. The number three, the letter X, the number three at, and you spell out, quarter2three.com. Next week, it is the opening of The Expendables 3, and we are not going to see it. <laughs> Next week we're seeing a movie called Life After Beth. Oh. So, <laughs> so, oh wait, it's it is her. It is what I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything about it. Uh, but it, that I want to see it, and that I have no oh, desire uh, to see a, a Kellen Lutz movie. Um, so uh, see Life After Beth. Join us for the podcast. We'll uh, tell you about our favorite gra- graveyard scenes. We'll read some pics from the listeners. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian Malaski. It's Christian Malaski. And Kelly Wand. Tornado. Shelly Long and Hello again. Is that military? She's a Girl Scout leader, troop leader. Troop Beverly Hills, I mean. That's what I meant. Is that military? Troop. We're going to be YouTube stars for the rest of our lives. (laughs) That's so not true.